All right, folks, this is it. We're ranking the greatest games ever. This is part four in a series that we've been doing. Um, we first ranked the best games pre-1920. Then we ranked the best games 1920, 1972. We then ranked the greatest games since 1972. And today we're going to lose our minds live on the stream as we attempt to rank the top 10 greatest games ever played. Um, once again, folks, if you're listening to this on Spotify or in your podcast app, you're going to want to head over to the YouTube, watch the video there so that you can actually see the games as we're discussing them. And um, yeah, here we go. This is going to be very, very tough. I'm going to throw it to Jesse to, to start us off and you can tell us about your, your newfound criteria for this one. <laughs> so first of all, I want to say I looked at, there's so many games we didn't get. Like I just, this morning I was looking at Kasparov and non game 10 and I was like, oh man, that could have made my list too. Mm. One of the things about this list I feel is that uh, there's, whoever does it, I think there's going to be different kind of floating criteria. Like what do other people think? What do you think? What resonance does the game have with you? What resonance does the game have with you over time? Like, did you see it as a kid and then also appreciate it as an adult? All these things come in. I'm sure I would do the list a little bit differently depending on the day, uh, just given how things are. And different games come back into my memory, right? I'm reintroduced to various games. I'm reading books all the time. Those, game, those books generally will reintroduce me to games I haven't seen or thought about recently. Okay, so here we go. Long story short, where do I go? I got to go to this little page here. And uh, best players, no, not best players, all time. We've done so many lists. Here we go. So my number 10 game is Burn Fisher 1963. Uh, this game I saw as a kid made a huge impression on me. And then to this day, I'm like, dang. That was a good game. So there it is. Burn Fisher, 1963. Mm -hmm. OK. Oh, got to hit Enter, Jesse. Oh. Enter. See it now, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, OK, folks. By the way, a lot of these games we covered in detail in past shows. So if you want to like hear our initial thoughts on all these games, definitely go and check out um, those shows because all the games that we're going to talk about today, most likely we uh, we covered them before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely every game I'm going to bring up today we've already covered. Um, so, yeah, my number 10 pick is the Karpov Kasparov uh, Sicilian game with the knight on D3, which we covered last, not last week, I mean this this week, two days ago. Um, and, uh, I, I looked over all the games again for, for today and I switched and, and I did switch in order. So I agree with what Jesse said that from day to day, it can actually change a little bit. Like someday you are, or aren't in the mood for a certain song and it can be the same thing with, with a chess game. Obviously all these games we're talking about at this point, you know, when you're at, when we're looking at these lists of greatest games of all time. It's not like there's ever a day where you play through the game and you just think like, yeah, yawn, whatever. I mean, they're all great, but 
but you can get a little more excited about one or another at a different time. Um, anyway, this game here. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kosti and I both appreciated it. So I don't know what to say. It's, uh, the, it's, it's the magic of being able to control Karpov. And also, you know, an original game and a flashy end. So, sorry, I'm it's not got sure a lot if, you, going. if you said it there. This is the 93 Octopus game. Yeah. Okay. And for Jesse, Jesse, you said Burn Fisher 1963. That's not the game of the century, everyone. That's right. That's 56. That's yeah. 1956. That's Knight takes G2, Queen D7. That's the one. Um, Okay. Yeah, I realize as we're doing these shows, like we're looking at these games throughout the week, but then we actually, when we present them, I think most people don't know what we're talking about. So we have to be very, very specific. Um, Alrighty. Uh, on to me? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, yeah, so once again, this list uh, was super, super tough to, to make. Um, and I actually did switch up some of my rankings from previous shows. So there will be games that like I ranked under, you know, that weren't mm -hmm. like my absolute top games. But when like reconsidering it for this list, like the greatest games of all time, I was like, yeah, maybe, you know. So I did switch up my rankings a bit. So I'm not going to be consistent with my rankings from pre previous shows. My criteria for this list actually uh, was very simple. It's like... Can I leave this game out? Yes or no? And if the answer was no, then it's on the list. <laughs> so that's how, that's how I decided my, my top 10 games um, ever. Okay. Um, with that in mind, my, I'm my number 10. I'm curious to see your list. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's really, really brutal. Um, with that in mind, I'm, my number 10 game is... Um, Anderson Kizaritsky, aka the Immortal Game. Mm -hmm. I think this was my number two overall pick in the games pre nineteen twenty. I might get the spelling wrong. I apologize. Um, so yeah, this is the Immortal Game. We showed it in the previous show. It's got this fantastic knight sack, and then it has this uh, like double rook sack, and then it ends with this. Immortal Queen Sack, followed by a minor piece checkmate. Um, so, yeah, I'll uh, I'll leave it there. Yeah, a worthy game. Yeah, yeah, we um, we had a lot of chess to go through, so just gonna keep right moving along uh, with my number nine game. It's also from my pre nineteen twenty list. Uh, this was my number one game, Steinitz von Bartleben. Uh, from the, the pre-1920s. This is the, the Battle of Hastings. And uh, yeah, Immortal Game. I think one of Steinitz's best. Definitely his, perhaps his most memorable. This is the famous Rook Takes E7, double exclam game, where Black then responded King F8, double exclam, leaving White with huge back rank issues, but Steinitz had seen further. And he has this like Immortal Rook combination on the seventh rank that a lot of people uh, probably seen rook f7 rook g7 rook h7 back to g7 uh, and then his opponent famously rage quit uh, afterwards in view of the incoming checkmate 
Okay, that's my number nine. Cool. Um, all right, I'm just going to say, Jesse Costia, it's going to be up to you to have anything, you know, interesting or controversial to say today. Got, <laughs> I've got nothing. I mean, it's just, I'm just, uh-huh. you know, my stuff just, just makes sense today. Just going down the line, normal, calm. Uh, here's like, you know, the fire on board game. Shirov's rookie four uh, brilliancy against Kramnik. One of the most exciting games. Just makes it into the top 10. On to you, Jesse. Okay. We're going to also do a little Shirov here. Top of left Shirov, greatest move ever played. And uh, All right, we're going to fight on this one. I wanted to fight last time. We're going to do another podcast about the greatest moves ever played. We're going to fight on this one. (laughs) I believe it's 1998. I'm putting in the, if you could, put in the, I think it's a nice reflection to see the the years, by the way. If we could just kind of get a global sense of when these games were played. Yeah. yeah, Jesse, let me me fight you a bit on this one. Number one, Uh I think we... We all agreed that this is a great endgame, perhaps uh-huh. one of the best endgames of all time, perhaps one yeah. of the best moves of all time, but uh-huh. does it make it the overall game, you know, one of the greatest games of all time? I don't know. But let me just say another thing. You Jesse. do know, and the answer is it doesn't. Well, that's just an opinion. It's just an opinion. In my opinion, it doesn't, but you know, I have a very nice endgame on my list as well, so um, that's fine. <laughs> um, but look, here's... Here's the thing for me. And you know, guy, I have the ultimate respect for Shirov. Uh, he's such a legend. I learned so much from his books and his games. Uh-huh. But even he himself, in his introduction, admitted that this move, Bishop h3, um, was not an original idea. No. A couple years prior to this game, Shirov played white against Ulf Anderson. And he lost the game in very similar fashion. People can look up the game, Shirov Anderson. Essentially, it was the same kind of bishop sack where the enemy king gets one extra tempo to win the game and Anderson won brilliantly. So Shirov himself in his book says when he played bishop h3 in this game, he had that other game in his mind as inspiration. So not to take anything away from the the brilliance of this, but it's like, it's not a full game. (laughs) And, And... even this greatest endgame, greatest move of all time, was actually inspired by another endgame genius, Ulf Anderson. Boss, I'm just going to tell you that all art is a reflection of art that went before. You look at the best Dylan songs of all time, you could start talking about greatest songs of all time there. Practically none of them. Dude wrote himself, they were all somebody else's song before. It doesn't matter, boss. It doesn't matter. All right. Let's keep going. There, I said my piece. again? <laughs> Do I go again here? Jesse is right. Everything builds on on stuff that came before it, but there are still ideas that are more or less original, right? And one of the things that makes Shirov's move more special is that in the game that inspired him, there was a pawn to capture on the Mm -hmm. square, right? So it's more, it's just, it changes the aesthetics and also how likely someone is to see the move, right? So his bishop h3 move is something which potentially you might not see even if you'd seen the other game or you know it's a move that that far few people would far fewer people would find than Ulf Anderson's move if you if you gave them both the test 
Now, let me just say, I did have some uh, peer pressure on me because originally I had this game higher in my list. Mm -hmm. And I Good. felt I felt the disapproval from the crowd, yeah. from the chumps. And yeah. I recognize that in lists like this, the chumps have a lot of say. It's That's the way it should be. It's a fan list. The <laughs> chumps have a lot of say. The next game, you could argue as well. You want to take, like, you want to use Sheriff's words. I'm sure you could use Kasparov's words. I don't think Kasparov would necessarily list this game on his top game list either. But this game turned me on to how to think about chess, right? So is it a great game? Yes. Did it change the way? Yes, absolutely. Um, is it a fan favorite in the same way? Maybe not. Maybe not. But this game, like, boom, pivotal moment for me. So there you go. Uh, sorry, just for the listeners, Kasparov Portish, 1983. Yes, Jesse's Portish, 1983. Uh, number yeah. eight pick, famous bishop takes g7 game. Yep. Um, All right. right. On to David. Got this game. Somebody has told me that some people consider this game overrated. <laughs> and uh, consider the move bishop a3 to be obvious. But uh, Botvinnik, Capablanca, um, I dare anybody to call rookie six obvious. This is um, one of very few old games, which to me still still ranks. Um, when, so here's like a general problem for the old games. When I look at most of the old games, um, it strikes me that, you know, it often strikes me that anybody now could play that game. Um, of course, that's not, you know, that 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 doesn't fully take away from, from the games, right? But to be top 10 all time, I wanted something that's a little bit, um, that also still feels like, you know, surprising and fresh and shocking, which is a lot to ask of an old game, right? But, um, but I, I, I like for it to have some kind of element of brilliance that even having seen it, it would be difficult to emulate. Um, so anyway, I think this game has a bit of that. To me, it's still a very, very fresh and uh, exciting game, even though everybody does know the idea of Bishop A3 now. Yeah, everyone knows Bishop H3, Bishop A3. <laughs> Nice. Um, okay. Uh, for me, number eight, uh, I have the game. Yeah, so like I said, originally I was thinking like, or I'll do my top three games from each period and then, you know, I'll add one more game that I really, but no, that didn't happen. Um, so for me, number eight game, uh, the more I think about it, the more I appreciate this one. Uh, Geller Oive, Zurich 1953. I think originally I had this ranked fourth for games between 1920 and 1972. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just think it's uh, it's an incredibly um, epic game, just this wonderful defensive effort. Uh, Oivey wins this game, uh, sacrificing his rook on h8, bringing his other rook down to c2, launching this vicious counterattack uh, against Geller, who is just a fantastic player himself. Um, and it was played in the Zurich Canada's tournament 1953. I think I mentioned every show, but like the more, the higher the stage the game is played in, the, the more special it is for me. It's not the only criteria, of course, but it, it definitely adds when there's a lot of pressure. I just think it's 
that much more impressive to play uh, an inspirational game. Um, okay, moving on to my seventh pick. Um, this is a game that I think both you guys ranked higher than I did. And uh, yeah, it's one of those games I was thinking about. It's like, I just can't leave this game off of the greatest games of all time. Um, and this is uh, Nezhmedinov Chernikov. Yeah, very famous queen sack game, queen for two minor pieces. Um, I think Nezhmet's probably most most famous game. Uh, we talked about it a bunch during the 1920-1972 show. Uh, I think, that, Jesse, this was your number one game for, for that period, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. And yeah, just fantastic game. Also just like such an influential game. I think so many players, myself included, see that game when they're developing and then they understand the power of the two pieces specifically because of like this exact game so for me that just that just gives it a ton of uh a ton of class and um importance um yeah i forgot the year if you one of you guys can can add it in but um yeah that's it that's my number seven you make a good argument coast yeah thank you <laughs> All right, on to David. All right, I'll put Nezhmetinov onto my list as well. Mm. Audible. No I... more fire on board. Oh, no, no more fire sure. on board in the top sure. 10. Kicked. <laughs> Nezhmetinov is now number Brutal. nine for David. Okay, that's fine. We're No, the changing changing minds is good. The competition is just is just brutal at, at this point um, in the situation. All right. Number seven, I'm going to put basically the the greatest semi-tarash game ever played. Magnus Carlsen versus Alireza Ferruja. New kid on the block. He's got him rocked a few times by, uh, by Magnus. Magnus took a special interest in him. You know? So this guy, this guy seems like somebody who would one day be able to beat me. And... Uh, he took some special efforts to beat him down, grind him up, chop his head off with tactics, everything. This game here, what a beatdown. Okay. I wow. mean, if, if anyone has not seen this game, they should see it. It's, uh, it's I remember it's seeing this game like, very yeah, special. like live or the day of in Waikonze, and it was such an impressive game. Uh, I just, yeah, I just have such a hard time. We talked about this last time. I just have this like reverse recency bias where I'm like, I don't know how this game will stack up over time. Like these games, you know, the rest of the games on our list that are from decades and decades ago, it's like, okay, we remember them. Clearly they're important to history. This mm -hmm. game, I feel like super well played, but will we recognize this game in you know, 50, 100 years when the next set of uh, chess podcasters are ranking the best games? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, but that's just me. That's just me. Oh, Ooh, Jesse's been muted. Jesse, you got muted. Sorry. One reason, <laughs> one reason I, I wanted to put the years was I wanted us all to just visually see kind of what the time span is. Because, um, right, I feel like the recent games, it's, it's harder. But if we do this in 10 years, I have a feeling we'll get more uh, games in this millennium. Right? Okay, cool. Um, I'm also going with seven. We're going to get a repeat here, and that's Steinitz 
Martin Laban, the rage quit game. Kostya's already said enough about it. Great game. Um, I was, that's an example of being returned onto the game. I was returned onto that because I've been rereading all of the books in the Dojo training program. And that game is featured with the great story in Art of Attack by Vukovic, which we have in the program. Now, next, my friends, we have Tall Hesht. This game, I want to admit that it was too hard for me to understand as a kid. Arguably, it's too hard for me to understand now. But when I was doing the research for this list, I was reading what other people felt were the top games. Can't leave this game off the list, dude. It's too insane. It's too insane. So Tal Hesh, we covered it last time. Um, amazing, amazing game. Post is replaying it like a madman as we speak. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of the first games I that I didn't have, so I couldn't play them for the crowd. Um, but this one, this one we have. All right. Uh, is that it for you, Jesse? Uh, well, yeah, I get to do two, and then it's on to David. Okay. Yeah, that's a fabulous game. That's a great game. Um, all right, so here I had... After Carlson, Ferrugia, I had... Whoops. Um, Kasparov versus Kramnik breaking down the Berlin Wall in Astana after losing the World Championship match. Okay. okay. That's all you have to say? <laughs> <laughs> That's all he's got, buddy. Well, I don't know. We're moving we... it along, boss. That's yeah. fine. No, all good. Okay. Uh, good game. Uh, all right, number six for me, I have, um, okay, yeah, this is a game that I had to, I had to reconsider. Um, this is the game Kasparov to Palov, 1999. Oh, interesting, reconsider. Yeah, because this was my best game of the recent period, 1972 and on. This is Kasparov's Immortal. Yeah. Uh -huh. Mike on Zay, the double rook sacrifice, epic king hunt. Um, but I was listening to David last night on the stream. He was discussing why he didn't rank this game. It wasn't even in his top 10. And um, David was saying, you know, like the opening didn't exactly go in Kasparov's favor. And then when he plays this double rook sack, it's almost like uh, he's just trying to complicate the game because it's like not going his way. So it's not exactly this incredible game, but... It's more of just like, all right, it was a messy game, and then he finds this rick sack to like complicate stuff, and then, um, and then wins. And apparently, Topalov didn't even have to accept the sacrifice; he still would have been, would have been um, okay. So it's not like, yeah, the cleanest game of all time. Um, I still think it's an amazing game. I think the attack that Kasparov conducts with the rick sack is just incredible. Um, but but yeah, it did make me reconsider, like, because okay, maybe it's not the greatest game out at first when I was considering this list, I was like, this might be just my, my top game of all time. But yeah, as I thought about it, okay, there are some, there are some very small blemishes and 
with such a list, like we really do have to to nitpick, right? To to make our our choices. So it lost a little bit of ranking for me, but I still think it's an absolutely uh, incredible game. I mean, top you know, top six, top six is pretty good. My friends, that's why you got it. When you're listening to David on the stream, you got to you got to just tone it down a little bit. You can't be so influenced. <laughs> Jesse's like, that this is why I asked David not to say anything, so I wouldn't consider it. <laughs> Well, Coach, yeah, I think mad props to you for actually listening to somebody else and reconsidering. Yeah, no, we, we all say like on any given day, our lists might look very different. And today's a very different day than uh, two days ago, Friday. <laughs> so, yeah. here, we, here we have it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's very, very tough. Um, I think all these players just deserve the absolute respect for their games. But... Um, yeah, you know what? What to do? The, the list must be made. Um, okay. The list must be made. <laughs> All right, question, Kosia. Yeah. Are we gonna go briefly through the top five? We don't have to, but we could. Just briefly run it through. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just play through the the top five. We won't. Um, right. Probably won't break it down too much because we already looked at these games a lot um, yeah. earlier. Um, but I will, I will show them starting from now because we should have all the games uh, in our. In our list here that we can um, display. Um, okay, so my number five game ever is definitely a personal favorite of mine. Arguably could be ranked much lower, but this is uh, my list and these are games that you know just made a huge impression on us. Um, so this is the game uh, Lotier Shirov, I think 1990. Let me get and switch over to it here. For me, I think this is one of Shirov's um, great creative masterpieces. Um, much better than his wonderful game against Topalov, in my opinion. <laughs> and um, yeah, I showed this game last time. Basically, this game is known for three very, very kind of interesting and unique sacrifices. The first one being, at this point on move 16, uh, where Shirov had already intended to sacrifice the rook on d5 in order to force white to give up the light square bishop. Then a couple moves later, Shirov sacrifices another exchange with rook takes e3. This one's more thematic. We've seen rook, you know, this has been known since the days of uh, Petrosian and perhaps even, even earlier. Um, but he sacrifices a second exchange to get the two bishops versus the two rooks, completely shattered white's kingside structure and give himself long-term play against the king. Um, and then the final sacrifice comes here, which is actually incredibly deep because he sacrifices the bishop on g3, takes here, white goes queen f3, black plays queen takes d2. First glance, it looks like black is just totally winning because rook takes h3, there's, there's g4, but white does have a check and then does end up with a full extra rook here. But Sheriff had already evaluated this position as just being uh, winning for black. And I think in, in practical terms, he was definitely correct. Just the queen and the massive kingside pawns uh, are just too too difficult for white to deal with. And he ends up just massaging his pawns forward. And, and white ended up resigning here after f5 uh, in view of just unstoppable threats like g4 and, and so on. Um, so yeah, for me, this is just uh, such an incredible game. I think it really... Encap encapsulates like some of Shirov's brilliance. Of course, he influenced, you know, by, by his trainer Tall and the whole Latvian school of chess. But yeah, I just think this game is, is so epic and 
deserves to be on the list. It makes you want to be Latvian, right? Like to have grown <laughs> up in, in that school. Yeah. Don't, don't you want to be part of the fire on board school? Yeah, Absolutely. actually, we'll, we'll, we'll do a recap. And I have a feeling the Latvian nationality is going to win the overall like representation. Ooh, are we, mm -hmm. I think we'll it's going to be Russian. I have a feeling it's going to be Latvian. Let's check it out. Interesting. Most, interesting. most brilliant games. Okay. By the way, Kostya um, is very influenced, as I am, by this book, Fire on Board. It's in our training program. Beautiful book from back, from back, I don't know, it came out late 90s or something like that. Uh, great annotations. Pre, without much, I don't, little to no computer, just human evaluation there. I think whatever nationality you consider Kasparov is going to be the nationality that wins, <laughs> whether it's Soviet or Russian or Armenian or uh -huh. or whatever. I think uh, he's going to single-handedly beat any other country. But uh, before I say my fifth pick, I've been doing some rearranging uh -oh. while Kostya was showing you guys Lotashirov, and I realized that somehow Tal Hecht, by omission, I had simply not. Uh, I, I, I slipped over it in my list because there were so many games in my list. I slipped over it and didn't replay it or count it in my top 10. Mm -hmm. And I thought it had to get in here. And um, I I put it in. I bumped um, I bumped Nezhmetinov. I'd placed Nezhmetinov-Chernikov at number nine when Kostya reminded me of that. Well, when not reminding me that one I had considered, but when Kosti made such a good case for it, I put it at number nine. Then I wanted to bring in Tal Hecht, and I had to decide if I was bumping the knight d3 game of Kasparov's <laughs> or the queen sack for two pieces. Kosti's like, this is like David choosing which of his kids to like sacrifice <laughs> to a crocodile or something, right? It's like, how do you ever say like, sorry, Timmy, I've got to keep Jimmy. <laughs> you know, and throw your kid <laughs> to the crocodile. I had okay. to do it, and ultimately, even though I'd put Nezhmetinov above the Kasparov game, I couldn't take Kasparov off. I mean, it's just it's on another level, like what he's doing in the match with with Karpov. Um, you know, and if if I had his Rui Lopez game, which Jesse ranked higher last time and might again rank higher this time, if I had his Rui Lopez game, I would have I wouldn't have bumped it either. I mean, I just the Kasparov Karpov clash is just too top tier i i needed something from there so and then i considered for a while whether to put tal hecht above or below botvinic capablanca and finally i decided tal hecht just has it all really really hard to beat this game and it was a almost a toss-up for me whether i bump it all the way up to number seven very very close um with this with this smooth yet violent carlson game it's kind of crazy the carlson game is like Oh, it's amazing. It's like silky smooth like a chocolate mousse and at the same time violent like fire on the board. Leaves a little a major burn in your mouth at the end. Whew. Dang. Anyway, here's another game. This one is a game that I that I rearranged slightly. It was ranked one higher for me when we did um, our last show on the post-1970... Um, oh, sorry, it's 1981, I think. When we did the um, when we did the show on post 1972 games, I ranked Polgayevsky Torre one slot higher. It has now been bumped down one spot by 
the next game that I will rank. Oh, so your number five, sorry, Polygaevsky Tori. Polygaevsky Tori. So, okay, so what this game is, real quick, is it's the game in the semi-slav where Polygaevsky gets the pawn on e7 as compensation for an entire rook that he lets black take in the corner on h1, and then he plays h4 and just builds this gigantic pawn skeleton trapping black's rook into a fairly roomy prison on h8. It's not like... uh you know, it's not like you obviously have a pawn on h7 and a piece on g8 and the rook can't move. No, it's kind of a big prison. Um, Black's able to sacrifice part of the material to bust the rook out. And technically has a tiny material advantage in the endgame, which Polgaevsky still wins positionally. Um, plus with, with tactics to follow um, in the conversion. And that's that's one of the reasons why Shirov was such a great endgame player. Is because when it comes to converting an endgame... I mean, you need to you need to have some precise calculation at your disposal, um, which Polgaevsky did on this day. So that's my number five. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, I guess I got I got to go twice because I'm at the end of the snake. <laughs> okay, so um, my number five pick, which I will reshow very briefly, is going to be Tall Larson, nineteen sixty five. I mean, a lot of games from the 60s, which is interesting for me. Um, so let me briefly go through this. I have a feeling a lot of people might not put this uh, in their uh, notes. And I'm going to turn off my sounds. I don't like that click, click, click sound. Wait, the coast is the one with the click, click. Turn off your click, click, buddy. So um, <laughs> uh, something I want to say about this game is that it really did turn me on to what attacking chess is. And um, the idea in particular that I love here is that knight d5 is not just an attacking move, but it is preventing black from playing e5. Beautiful. And then I love what we're going to later talk about with Kasparov for the idea now is the e-file is going to split the board in two. h5 and then pop, pop. And then this move is so, it's like the patience with h4. The patience, oh man, bringing everybody in. And knowing that bishop b7 is not going to work out. Oh, it's really, it's really hardcore. And then we get this situation that is winning. And I'm going to leave it there. Winning position, we could go through the rest, but that is it. That is my number five. And then number four, I have Burn Fisher, 19. 56. And this is Fisher's a kid here. And um, let's go through this real briefly here. Uh, that's Game the of the century. Picture. Game of the century. That's right. Um, little trouble refining it in our list here, Kostya. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's there. Number three. Okay, good. Yeah. And one thing this taught me as a kid that was really fascinating was the, I yell a lot at the, at our beginning level dudes when they lose time. And it was like this move, obviously white had their motivations for doing it, right? They had their motivations for doing it. They were not afraid of Bishop F3, yada, yada. So they were like, well, I can wait with the Bishop on F1. 
No, you can't, boss. <laughs> no, you can't. And I think one of the cool things about it is like, right, your opponent breaks the rules and then we are going to go after you, son. Oh, yeah. We are going after you, my son. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Check to the miserable king. Check. Check. And you're done. And you're done. Goodbye. What's the rook doing on h1? Nobody knows. Yeah. Genius level game. Absolutely genius. And there it is. That is my number four. Kosi, can you turn off the sound, buddy? I don't like the click clock. It's too many, too many click clocks, buddy. All right. Yeah, go to your settings. I don't know. I already turned off the sound. You need to turn off your sound, buddy. I don't hear any sounds. It's my sound. You're the only one that's hearing sounds because you're coming from your computer. No, I don't have any sounds, Bows. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> what are you hearing? I don't understand. From? I don't understand. I don't understand. Okay. So, David, you are next. Kasparov Shear of ninety-four. Boom. Yep. Kasparov Shear of ninety-four. Um. Yeah. To me, that's that. Uh, that dynamics, tactics, taught narrative from beginning to end, logical connection. With Hold many on, twists I don't have and this turns in the list. I'll get it in. Was that? I don't have this game on the list. So. I'll oh, sorry. It. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, last time I ranked it one below Polgayevsky Tore. Today I'm ranking it one higher. <laughs> I decided that it's more just absolutely fundamental to uh, to my understanding of chess. I mean, the I, how do I turn off the sound? It's killing me. I can't take it. It's in your settings, boss. Oh, it's not in my settings. It won't let me do it. I, I hate you, chess.com. You're killing me, Bob. I guarantee you, Jesse, please just I listen to me you, for man, one second. Click on your settings. Be... Go to yeah. sound theme. Select yeah. none. It's probably selected it on default. Then, it, then, it... then it's broken. Then it's broken on your end. There's nothing we can do. All right. Your computer is uh, broken. Get a new hey, computer. Hey, daddy, get it together, buddy. Get it together. You're killing me, Bob. <laughs> Doesn't work. There's nothing we can do, you know. <laughs> anyway, David, you were saying? Uh, it's just a, a great game. I mean, look at that knight on B7, but the phases, the phases, you know, how he switches it up. Here, the bishop's hanging. He threatens. If, if black took the bishop, he wins with queen d7, right? But then the king moves to e8 to stop his queen from going to d7, and then he comes in through h7 instead and attacks the king from the other direction. I mean, it's just amazing. Right, sacks that, picks that up, hits him from the a7 direction, knight e3, threatening knight f5. So, I mean, he had everything hanging to the last moment, right? Rook on a3, knight on c4. He couldn't play queen takes c4 because of rook a7. It all comes together. Mm -hmm. Jesse, the Twitch chat, if you read it, is giving you some good suggestions to mute the tab, which you can do by right-clicking it, it and then hitting mute. Yeah, but we don't want this to turn into top 10 greatest boomer tech support 
moments of all time. That'll be the next one. I've muted myself at this point. It makes me yep. so angry. How do I, I mute the tab? I noticed that he'd muted himself along the way. <laughs> you you right click on it. You right click yeah. on the I've on the tab. I clicked the tab, boss. I've you right click, and then there's options there, and then one of them will say mute. All right, all right. I've muted that thing. Oh. It's true. We'll get a lot more action on YouTube with a top boomer tech support mom. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely do better than this video. But our audience who are here with us today. These hundred fine folks do want our normal, our normal content about chess games. All right. Okay. What do you mean click? My mouse is making a clicking sound every time I hit it on my, on my desk. All right, Kosti, take it away. End this. Whew. Okay. Number <laughs> four for me, um, in my opinion, well, it is the greatest endgame of all time. I had... To Paul of Shirov, um, because this is someone that essentially defined a genre all on his own. This is the game Fischer Taimanov, 1971, from their match, game four, I think. Mm. Yeah, beautiful game. Uh, mm. This is the immortal Fischer Endgame. The Endgame so nice, they named it after Fischer. Um, oh, did I forget to, I forgot to add it in. All right, one sec, folks. So this is um, obviously part of the candidates match that Fisher played against Taimanov, that he won 6-0. So it should be said, this is game four. He's already leading 3-0. You know, not the best moods was Taimanov for this, <laughs> for this game, most likely. Um, yeah, but as we go to the game here, what I really love about this endgame is just like the the stages. Um, we get to the endgame. I mean, opening was, was actually I think quite interesting as well. But we start off the endgame here. It's like rook and bishop against rook and knight. Fisher first kind of improves his rook and bishop to the maximum, brings his king in, and essentially just improves, improves, improves with the rook and bishop against the rook and knight. He forces weaknesses on both sides of the board uh, from his opponent. And I've always found it so cool how on the king side, the pawns are fixed on light squares so that the bishop can attack them. And on the queen side, the pawns are fixed on dark squares so that the bishop and the king have scope and ways to get in. And this ends up being quite important. He forces a rook trade and then ends up winning this bishop versus knight endgame. Um, with just incredible technique, like there's some very, very nice uh, Zugzwangs here, demonstrating like the power of the bishop. The bishop can lose a move, the knight can't, and uh, eventually he gets in with his king. And then to cap it off, he sacks the bishop for a number of pawns and then wins this like three pawns against knight endgame. So yeah, every part of this game I think is uh, instructive. I think it's kind of immortal. It obviously influenced chess. Jesse talked a lot about it last time, how this wasn't even known as the Fisher endgame at the time. It was just, just throughout the years, it became obvious that Fisher was kind of in tune with this deeper truth about the game before anyone else was. And yeah, for that, it just makes it, uh, it has to make this list for me. Yeah. I can imagine dudes back then analyzing the endgame, trying to find where Taimanov blundered it, thinking like, 
sure, Black's a bit worse, but they're not losing, and you know they got no computer to help them. They're trying to prove the draw, find the error, to no avail. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, great game. I yeah, love this kind of the story behind the game as well. Um, moving on to number three for me. It's another game from the uh, 1920-1972 period. Uh, I told the story of this game last time. This is the Battle of Gothenburg. Geller Pano. 1952. Let me check our list here. 1955. Excuse me. Um, so Epic Game... For me, the most epic thing about this game is, of course, the, the story that goes into it. Um, I, I told the story in a bit more detail last time, but I'll just refresh everyone's memory. Basically, this was a team match. It was the Soviet Union against Argentina, and there was three very strong Soviet Union players, Geller, Karas, and Spassky, against three very strong Argentinians, including Oscar Pano and Miguel Nidorf himself, all playing the black side. On of this uh, of this opening, and uh, the Nidorf players they all prepared this like amazing G5 shot in the Nidorf, thinking they would crush their uh, opponents from from the Soviet Union, and um, all three boards you know it's like this never happens like all three boards at the exact same position, and the two other players Karas and Spassky they looked to Geller to first see how he would react to this before making their move. Uh, good choice, good choice, because Geller ends up refuting this over the board. He takes, he sacrifices on e6, queen h5 check, then he finds the only move here, bishop b5, that is giving white a winning attack. The point being is that this bishop is eventually going to trade itself off when the second knight comes in and tries to go after the e5 square. And yeah, Geller ends up just winning a phenomenal attacking game. They all won their games, by the way, because they all play this bishop b5 as they saw Geller do it. And so he ends up scoring three points for his team in one game, which I think is just absolutely uh, incredible. So yeah, for that, it makes it to my list. And I'm going to say this is the uh, third best game ever, period. Okay, a, a brutal Sicilian game. And I'll say that although Bishop B5 is sort of a theme now, that it would be on that list of themes that any, you know, modern master knows, right? Fair to say. But like I had this position and I didn't play Bishop B5, right? So it's one thing to know the themes. That's not everything, right? You also have to be able to put everything together and calculate. So, um, so that's... Yeah, uh, very, very, very high difficulty level to come up with all of that over the board when it's your opponent who's got you in their prep. My number three is um, I'm I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with it. I've got no regrets about this choice, which was deemed mildly controversial. <laughs> Jesse wants the year in here probably. Uh, Spassky Fisher, the Aljechin defense provocation game with uh, a fantastic endgame, mind-boggling endgame 
up there with the Fisher time on of Endgame for sure. A very different style, right? More like tons of counterplay and calculation, right? Versus restraint and control and Zugzwang. Um, either kind of endgame can be great. And they really do feel like two separate kinds of endgame. This this is a, a fantastic endgame. And game all the way from the beginning as well, right? Like it's not just some random moves and then they play the endgame. Yeah, actually I should issue a correction on, on this game. Because when you listed it as your as your top pick, I remember thinking it was kind of like an obscure choice, and that not many people really cherish this game that much. Um, but apparently, no. Apparently, you know, Bodvinik was a big fan of the game. He called it perhaps the best game of the match, or even one of Fisher's best games. So, no, actually, the the game definitely did um, turn some heads when it was played, and I think it is well regarded. So, so my bad on that. Um, YouTube gets a point for that one. Sometimes the corrections are on YouTube are really, really useful. Like when we get certain details wrong or stuff like that. Um, I do, I do appreciate it when people come out and uh, and uh, correct us. Yeah, I mean the collective mind knows so many things. You know, there's there's somebody on YouTube who knows what Fisher had for breakfast that day. You know, and can sort of bring that into <laughs> add context on that, right? Like, or you know. He didn't get his tennis match in that day. Or somebody on YouTube said that this game was played over three sessions. Double adjournment. Ooh, wow. Oh, holy moly. If that's true, which, you know, I have no reason to doubt. If that's true, that adds another dimension to the game, right? I mean. I forgot they had double adjournments. Like one adjournment, okay, but like a second adjournment. <laughs> Come on, guys. Just finish the game. <laughs> no, no, no. So it's all good. They got to go home and analyze it before they can come back and, and play. Anyway. <laughs> oh, there goes the bishop on d5. Honor. Um, okay, I just played through it quickly. Yep. On to Jesse. Yeah, okay. So, number three, we have I'm not influenced by David. We've got Topolov, Gas uh, excuse me, Gasparov, Topolov. Uh, we got so many Kasparov games and we got more than one coming up. Topolov, 1999. Okay. So I'm going to, we're going to walk through this. I'm going to yeah, say maybe just a couple things about this. So one is, I'm happy to report that this system here, is what I advocate in the new upcoming chess dojo aggressive opening repertoire for white coming out on the 10th. So a little bit more than a week away, Monday, a week from tomorrow. And here, if we're going to criticize, I was just thinking about the opening uh, because David said it was imperfect. <laughs> it was funny, actually, because back in the day, one of the things interesting about this position is back in the day, I remember as people were always playing F3 as if they were terrified of knight G4. So anyways, uh, castles and castles long seems a little bit more appropriate, but you after b5, you do have to play f3. And so here we could maybe, we could argue that castles is better than 92, but 92 is very natural. Bishop h6, very natural. We could also castle or play h4. a3, if I'm gonna disagree with any move, maybe it's a3, castles, okay. 
makes sense so far. And here, Kasparov, you could say, well, maybe the knight shouldn't be out anyways. Here it goes, knight c1, castle, pop, pop, pop. And now, so from my human point of view, right, now it comes down to evaluating um, the knight on b3. So is the knight on b3 going to be a valuable piece or not? If the only way it's going to be valuable at this point is if it has a future on a5. Right, that's the only way. Okay, so here we go. Pop, pop. Then I would also I would also say Jesse Bishop F one and Rook H one have yet to find their true. Well, right. So one of the right? things that's amazing about the game is now when we look at the position here, Knight B six, G three, we're saying oh. Now one of the things that's surprising about it to me is that the bishop actually will do something on h3 because from my naive perspective it seems like the bishop's going to get ghosted mm -hmm. on this diagonal right that's my first really naive thing i'd be like well what what's the bishop doing there dog i'm not sure furthermore mm -hmm. when you leave f1 you know uh, you're leaving the c4 square which you could be fretful of because the knight coming to c4 now the good news is our knight on a5 not only touches the bishop, but also touches the c4 square, which is good for our defense. Let's say, again, the other thing that's weird is, will this bishop be of any use? Not clear. Will this knight be like just a chump bystander? With bishop a8, Topolov is saying, oh, it's a chump. That piece is a chump. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now the critical moment. Uh, Topolov is the one who goes for it with d5. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense to play d5. You can claim here. And maybe it's true that that Kasparov's kind of sort of blown it. Maybe it's true, but you know, you're gonna prove something. It's the move d5 is the one that's gonna do it. Oh, so here we go. Pop, pop. Okay, this move's forced. Pop. Okay. D4. Here we go. Pop. So one of the things that is fascinating about this position to me, and honestly, the game is beyond me. I just want to stress this game is totally beyond me. Um is that we're going to get this d5 on and then it's going to be a question of again is the knight working that's question number one it, the question number two is the bishop working okay so that's to me it's it's like i'm not doesn't 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 seem like it's working to me yeah right? it's not it's not jesse and it's only because you've seen some computer explanation my friends pop no i i can see this bishop on h3 is not good I can see it. Well, hold on, but both pieces now are going to magically partake in this magic attack. Both pieces are going to work. And that's the whole beauty to me of the, or part of the beauty of the game, is that pieces that seemed like they weren't working are actually going to work. So here it comes. Pop! Hello. <laughs> there we go. Now, would I be certain I was winning this thing? No. And what's the main reason? Because this bishop's a chump. I'd be like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Also, because even this is not winning, but yeah. <laughs> That's only because you've looked at the computer. Another reason not to be sure That's you're winning. That's the only reason because you've looked at the computer. I understand the computer is a very powerful drug. No, well, no, no. I, if, actually, I were playing this, if I were playing this position, I would think I, I would think it's very, very dangerous for black, but I wouldn't think that I know the, the, the evaluation. I would be very open to anything could be happening. Anyways, so I have studied this with a human mind... Uh, do I, is it beyond my skill level? Yes. I'm so happy I didn't make Bruce's mistake and turn on the computer. 
<laughs> then you then once you do it, once you do it, your mind with in fact, with all of these, almost all of them, I will say I have turned on my number two, I have turned on the computer. The computer does not refute it, but that in a way doesn't change too much. All right, right. so this is number three. Wait, let me just say, um, I I did look at this game with a computer because like uh -huh. I was reconsidering it. And right, right. for me, you guys have weird stuff with the with the engine. The engine is just giving its opinion, right? It's not like if the game is engine perfect, then you have to worship it, or if it's not, then you have to like discard. The engine just he gives wants you... to send us to therapy, Jesse. He thinks we've I got issues. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying David has issues because he turned the computer on in this position, and then it marred it for him. It marred the game for him, and it's not even on the list. Obviously, the game. But has to but be David finished. said like ten times already. He actually didn't didn't check the game. But anyway, um, he obviously I, checked the game. After obviously the check the game just for um. Uh, just for uh, the chat's uh, sanity. Um, so I think the attack is winning, actually, once Topalov accepts the sacrifice. Oh, yeah? So it's not like... Yeah, I don't think... I, I don't, don't know think... if Kasparov saw all the right you know, details and variations, but I think, like, objectively, winning. I think once I read some dude's annotations of this game somewhere See? in here, but I have not gone move by move with the computer. I mean, Kostya is correcting some me on the evaluation. Just like Kostya shouldn't have been listening to you, you were listening to some dude, Baus. Was it, you were it was my some random dude <laughs> on the internet, and he ruined this game for you. Are you not a so? random dude on the internet? Why is why is <laughs> why is this grandmaster whose name is Igor, why is his opinion of less value than yours? <laughs> because he turned on Fritz 3 in 1999. <laughs> 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 All right, we're moving on, my friends. I got number two. This is Nezhmedinov, Chernikov, Cher 1962. Amazing game. It stuck with me forever. I'll say it's a little bit different with Kasparov Topolov, where I feel like I've really studied Nezh Chernikov and I, I'm like deep inside of it. I'm deep inside of it. The, the Kasparov Topolov mm -hmm. is really like, there's parts of it that are beyond me. There's parts of it beyond me. Uh, whereas this one, one of the things, well, let's just look briefly. A couple of things. Oh about my word. Say, is that with the Kasparov Topolov game, what's fascinating to me is that pieces that don't seem like they're working to me work. In this one, clearly White's pieces are working. It's just not clear that it's going to be effective in any way, right? And then it was very surprising to me that this was actually toast for Black. I'm not going to go over it forever. But here is the general scheme of things. No, you never get any of my bishop's bows. You never get any of my, oh, this game's, this game's, maybe I should have put this as number one. This game's amazing. <laughs> you definitely should not have put as number one the game you did put as number one. I'll say that much. <laughs> All right, bro. You're ready. Number two. Let's go. Okay. Theodore's <laughs> greatest hits. <laughs> After you picked this Nezhmetinov-Chernikov game, which I was like, I, I finally did a thing you sometimes do. I like racked my brain. I was like, so uh -huh. what does Jesse have left for number one? Wasn't uh -huh. this Chernikov game his number one yeah. for, the for the 19, 
for the mid-1900 period and wasn't Kasparov Toplov his number one for the modern period and I figured out what you put as number one and I just got ill I <laughs> oh, oh my Kostya are both gonna have it boss so there you go there's no way Kostya is gonna join you on that train well, man. we're gonna see what train we're on in just a second my friend we're no way get, me and Kostya are gonna be riding you all the way home <laughs> Okay, at this point, I feel like a child of divorce, to be honest, but go on. <laughs> All right. Bagirov Gufeld, the Mona Lisa. Oh, no! Um, oh, no! A brilliant, a brilliant, beautiful game. The guy creates art. He doesn't just end up in a bad position with a bishop shooting at nowhere and try to throw some complications at it. Um, Let's go. The traveling Gufeld. artist, the lover of the game... Eduard Gufeld, he may never have been world champion, but he produced a, a champion-level game here. He's the, a champion art in chess. The greatest salesman of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling salesman and chess player. Beautiful. Bishop e6, like Fisher. Then exclam 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 that's Rangas commentary on this which is which is apt an exclam then some more exclams some other exclams attacking exclams defensive exclams everything exclams boom Begarov should have at least played it out man you know come on should've yeah yeah he should he should have walked around the rosy once for us walked i agree <laughs> yeah i agree but in any case i mean he <sighs> he couldn't mar gufeld's achievement there that's that's a game that's Mona a game Lisa, my friends that's the Mona Lisa so in the end folks even above the games which I can't comprehend even above the games that taught me the most of all games even above the beautiful games that have the most moves of any game I ranked one or two pieces of just aesthetic art that's what ended up coming out to the top for me so we see so we see what I value. Okay. All right, Costa, you are the child of divorced parents, my friends. Let's see what you <laughs> put on our table. Oh, man. Um, and you okay. better not love Jesse more than me. He's got to <laughs> compete for our affections now, my friend. Believe it or not, it's the other guys... way around. If he's the child of divorced parents, it's like us who are competing <laughs> to have our kid love us more. That's true. Yeah. You guys should switch up your, <laughs> your picks. <laughs> Kostya, um, if you don't pick the same number one game as Jesse, like I'll do whatever you want. My list, uh, my list is set. My list is set for the top two games. All right, let's see it, boss. Okay, um, for number two, uh, I've got, and let me just say, let me just say, all right. Ultimately, ultimately, these lists are just very subjective. It's just the games that just made you know, the impression on us. And the cool thing is like, actually even these lists are very, very different that, that we have here. Everyone would have their own top 10 game list um, that they feel is, is best. And I would actually encourage folks, one guy in our YouTube last time did put his top 10. He was like, this is the one game I disagree with. Here's what I would, <laughs> here's what I would include instead. So I would encourage everyone out there to um, give us their their top 10 list either on twitter or on youtube because i honestly think it's it's fascinating to see you know and maybe we could even do some kind of collective right like see which games just keep showing up on on everyone's list anyway without any further ado uh my number two game is the kaspar 
excuse me, Karpov Kasparov, 93 Octopus game. Oops, game 16 from their 1985 World Championship match. I think last time this game was also number two on my list of best games in the modern era. Let me bring it up here. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's many things to love about this game. It was like a fantastic opening idea um, from Kasparov. It was played, you know, just this epic world championship match. The concept of this game of establishing this knight on d3 for just pure positional compensation, uh, I think is is just absolutely wonderful. Um, obviously, the game is played against Karpov, who's just one of the greatest players of all time. You know, whenever you can just like dominate a player like that with black, you know, no less. I mean, it's it's just something that's absolutely uh, magical. And um, I had a hard time, you know, I wasn't sure, like, do I really want to rank this game so high? Because it's not, like, the flashiest game. It's not like, just, like, tactic after tactic, sacrifice after sacrifice. It's actually very, like, more of, like, a positional game. But there's a lot of tactics underneath the surface, of course. And, yeah, overall, I think the game is just um, tremendous. So, yeah, for me, this is my uh, number two greatest game ever. Um, and my top game... I'm sorry to disappoint someone. <laughs> Is um, the game of the century, Burn Fisher, 1956. Okay. So, yeah. You didn't disappoint anybody. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesse. I'm sorry. The opera game, for me, it's an amazing game. But I was thinking about this list. You know, I'm comparing the opera game to just like these epic struggles and it's like it's so hard one thing actually i wanted to say last time i, I forgot i was like alpha zero played some amazing games against dogfish like some of those games were absolutely mind-blowing but okay it's a computer game it doesn't count it's not it's not the same right for me this like morphe opera game it's epic it's legendary but it's kind of a kid's game you show it to kids to teach them about the initiative and development it's a wonderful game it's a fantastic game. Let's play like a casual setting. I just, yeah, it's very hard for me to actually rank it among these games. Um, so I left it out. <laughs> Disqualified. Um, I, I do think, think it's I think amazing. I did game. it perfectly, Kostya, because Jesse likes this game you picked very much as well. He put it number four. So it's that incredible balancing act to not displease anybody. And I think you managed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I'm sure I've disappointed many with, with my overall list. Um, but yeah, let me, um, oh, Je Jesse already showed this game. This is number number four pick, but yeah, I just feel like this is such a magical game. Uh, it's just incredible sacrifice from Fisher. Like he sacks the queen. It's like knight a four move is just sick. Uh, he has this like beautiful like windmill tactic with the uh, bishop and knight, like very very unique sort of windmill, I would say. Um, and then it ends with just like this perfect technique of the pieces outplaying the queen, which for like most thirteen year olds, even if they're very strong, I don't think is an easy easy task to accomplish. So for me, this game just like has everything. It's got like the style, the prestige, the historic value, um, and uh, yeah, I think I made this point a couple times, but it's like your number one game has to be a number one game, you know, and there's very, very few games that can really take up that mantle for me. Um, there are no perfect picks, but, but that's mine.
right, bro. Just show us the Philidor game and get us over with. <laughs> yeah. Get it done. Um, yeah, that, that Burn Fisher game, it, it, it's got that, like, hidden tactical energy, right? And then that you might not see that it's even lurking, right? And then Night A4 and everything explodes. Wow. Tremendous. Um, my number one, it's it's obvious, right? It's my number one of the modern era, Serper Nicolaitis. Let's go. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Serper. Yeah. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful game that we showed last week. Um, incidentally, uh, it's uh, Serper's greatest game that he's played. I also the greatest so. game anyone has ever played. Oh, so. <laughs> at the same time and um <laughs> i should hope so yeah <laughs> i mean what, what i mean i mean i i said everything about it last time we got to play through the whole game but this is a game worthy of playing through many times i mean every move is just beautiful right it's uh you know just chef's kiss after chef's kiss every single move it's uh I mean, I can I can imagine after playing this game that Serper just played it over and over again 10 million times. Let me defend David's honor a little He's bit. He's probably here. playing it over right now as we speak. Yeah, I'm showing you because this is a top game. Was, no, no, no. Uh, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Serper. It. He's showing Sorry. He's probably sorry. playing it over right now, not to show it to somebody, just for himself somewhere. Uh, well, like, uh, I've played games that are not this good, but when I need a pick-me-up, I just play through them. I mean, I just I just sit in my room playing through my own best games. So like, sad. What? I You've think... got a look on your face like you don't do that, Jesse. So sad. It's not sad. <laughs> it's like the happiest you can be as an artist. <laughs> I think this game is great. I think if you removed all of the names from the games on our list yeah. and just showed us these games uh, blank... I think I would rank this game much higher just based on its pure aesthetics. Have uh, you told Jesse that this was a Kasparov Korchnoi game from a candidates match or Kasparov Karpov game? He would put it number one. The game's unbelievable. <laughs> oh no, he would pick the opera game, but he would rank this like close second. <laughs> Jesse, have you never played a game that made you so happy that you just wanted to look at it again and again? All right, my friends, we're coming in. We're going to talk about the best game of all time. This game, there is consensus. There is consensus in the broader chess world that this is the greatest game of all time. They can whine and call it candy and kids games and all this other stuff. But there is consensus, not only with me, but with others. This is the greatest game of all time. It is Morphe, my friends. Yes, Morphe. There's, there's no questions. The consensus is that it's the easiest game to understand for a six-year-old after, like, the scholars made. That's the consensus. Beyond that, I always call this game Morphe versus the the Evil Duke. That's who I always say. So I'm going to put it, I'm going to frame it a little bit. The Evil Duke. I realize he had some helpers there, but he was playing the Evil Duke over there. It expresses the aesthetic that defines chess, not only in that era, but throughout time. Thank you very much. So I'm happy with, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, there's a lot. Let me just say briefly about my top 10 here. I feel uh, I'm very uncertain about five through 10, uh, but one through four, I feel pretty good about. 
I feel pretty good about one through four. So I'm going to just say, yeah, that we can do, we do this in 10 years. I have a feeling we'll, we, I'll have some Carlson games in there and there'll be some re reflections, some reordering, but one through one through four, that's pretty solid. Okay, guys, I'm going to need your help to uh, tally up these games. By You've my got count... strange taste, Jesse. You've got strange taste, my man. <laughs> All four of the top four that you're so sure of are, wow. Yeah. yeah at least it's not Serper Nicolaitis, my friend. Yeah. I'm not even sure that's Serper's best game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like Jesse's two through four. I feel like those those are games that I could see putting pretty high. But I don't know. Um, okay, by my count, we're gonna need to tally these up. By my count, I see we have five games that we listed more than once. Okay. I got Burn Fisher 1956, Kasparov to Tal Hesht, Karp of Kasparov. Game 16, Steinitz, Von Bartleben, and I don't see any other repeats. Did you mention Kasparov top left already? Yes. First place is going to be your Burn Fisher game. Yep. Game, of the, game of the century, and now of all time. Now of all time, yeah. Let's go. All right, let's... Um, so that means that I was the most correct, because my number one game ends up our number one overall game. <laughs> Nobody can be most correct based on to what degree Jesse agrees with them. That's not how truth works in this world, Ghost. Yeah. Uh, we should ask Surfer what his best game is. <laughs> Bagger off Goofell, dude. <laughs> well, if he's got better games than his game against uh, Nicolaitis, then... Uh... We'll just Maybe add those games to our, the top of the list. He should have been on our list of greatest, yeah. <laughs> greatest players. Bump Kasparov down the list. Okay, uh, let's see. How, so how many points are we, are we giving here? Kasparov gets eight. Now, Kostya's, Kostya's uh, taste is not something which I can clearly put a finger on. It's a very varied taste. It's not like just end games or beatdowns mm. or tough games or easy games or 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 learning games or artistic games it's like everything's in there yeah it's true now with Ghost, also with the books it'd be like you know it, my reaction to a lot of his stuff is not like yours where i'm just like oh my god what are we doing here with Ghost, it's more like just kind of left field like really boss you know really? you know yeah. I don't know. I, think, I have. I, I'm with you, David. I haven't put a finger yet on Kosia's soul. That's because yeah. I'm like objective and I'm open to new ideas. And you guys are just like hung up on games you saw like 20 years ago. Kosia's <laughs> <laughs> like, like 20 years ago. I'd never looked at a game yet. You old farts. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'd seen the opera game by then. <laughs> yeah, the only game I'd seen 20 years ago was the opera game, and my dad gave me a tuna fish sandwich after playing through it for me, and then I went and got a trophy. <laughs> okay, oh, wait, one, nine. So, Jesse, you don't like the, uh, the 93 Octopus game, huh? You left it out. No, I like that game fine. Um, I think I was influenced by um, the Nikitin book, and he... I would recommend anybody who's interested in 93 book, 93 game, to look at that um, and give some really interesting insight. It's hard for me to, 
say a game is a top game when it's like a theoretical game. So like mm -hmm. that D5 thing, very prepared. And then also, I think provocative. Uh, one of the reasons I like a lot of Kasparov's other games are uh, it's not necessarily like prov provocative in an unsound way. A lot of the attacks I feel are just really like borne out through time. And that one I don't feel is. Uh, but it's a great game. I'm not saying it's a great game. Okay. Actually, one thing I do feel bad about my list, and I just couldn't resolve it. I tried, but I really couldn't. Uh, I got no tall games, which seems like a crime. You know, tall is just amazing. He's got some amazing games. I left him off the greatest games, uh, the greatest players list, thinking he'll probably have some great games, you know, that I can include. <laughs> but like, man, it was just tough. I don't know. I I feel bad about that because I, I, I yeah. think he's amazing, but. Yeah, I don't know. Dude was missing a kidney, and you just had nothing to offer him. <laughs> yeah. All right, we Feel got our final rankings. Let me uh, clip them quickly for the stream. So basically, we've got a top top five list, essentially. I don't know. Do you guys want to include the games that only one of us ranked? We can do, let's have... look at our, first of all, let's just look at that top five and discuss it here. Okay. Put that then it's like, yeah, it kind of messes up the list where it's like, okay, I have, or Jesse has like, you know, opera game, David has surper game. These games get just 10 points by default. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just have to, oh God, you have to put them like ahead. Yeah. So here's our list. Surper Nicolaitis is going to be on the chess dojo top game. <laughs> and the opera game. Both those games are on chess.com's list, I think, of the greatest games uh -huh. of all time. Serper Nicolaitis is on chess.com's greatest, like number 1,000? What is it? Uh, no, I think they have like top 10 games. I'm pretty sure they're like either fan selected or they did like some kind of poll or something. But okay. I feel like it was a lot of like our famous games. I think Aronian Anand is on there, <laughs> um, the Steinitz game, Opera game. I like our top five. Our top five is pretty good. Yeah, so let me let me read it off. In fifth place, we have Steinitz von Barlevin uh, with six points total. Fourth place, we got Tall versus uh, Hesht, which I'm happy made it. You guys definitely ranked it uh, and gave it enough. And third place, with 10 points, we have the Karpov Kasparov 93 Octopus game. In second place, with 13 points, we have Kasparov Topalov 1999, Kasparov's Immortal. And in first place, we have the game of the century, Burn. Fisher, 1956, with a total of 17 points. Oh, sorry, the 10 came from me, not David. All right. There we there we have it. Those are the top five games that at least two of us agree deserve to be <laughs> in the top 10 list. Stop.